0: Are you tired of storing too much shit in a house that's just too damn big? Do your muscles and joints feel tight and tense? Do you operate with at least a little low-level guilt humming in the background of your consciousness? Well, maybe you're little house curious. Possibly you should learn how to stretch and move your body. Or maybe you're interested in exploring alternatives to the bland, white bread, Melba toast, and largely futile narrative offered to you by the peddlers of mediocrity who run the world. If any of these describes you, Shelter Publications has a book or two you should read. The crew at shelterpub.com have published 45 years worth of books on health, fitness, and building. Go to shelterpub.com and pick up a copy of the book Shelter 2 and learn how to build your own home. Order a copy of Driftwood Shacks for a stroll along the beaches of the California coast, marveling at what driftwood can do for your mood. Or get a copy of the Gardeners and Poultry Keepers Guide and Illustrated Catalog. It's a beautiful reproduction of a hundred year old catalog of prefabricated greenhouses and sheds. You might just find the inspiration to grow some tasty food in your own yard. Or someone else's. I don't know how you live. Shelter Pub's editor-in-chief, Lloyd Kahn, gave us a book called Tiny Homes. It's a book about building small houses. As a guy who has built and now lives in a version of a small house, I can tell you I wish I would have had this book before I started. The next time I do a building project, I'll check with the catalog of books at shelterpub.com and make sure I know what the hell I'm doing first. Lloyd also told me, if you order any two books, you get 30% off and free domestic shipping. Fuck you, Amazon. So even if you're not the kind of person who feels like Christmas is important, this is a great way to make observing that holiday feel purposeful. Go check out shelterpub.com and get a book for a friend, or one for yourself, or for Christmas, or Jesus, or Santa, or whatever. shelterpub.com, work with your hands. Be good. <laughs> Hello friends. Are you living your lives to the fullest? Do you know what it means to live your life to the fullest? I'm not sure if I have an answer to either of those questions that's worth hearing. But fortunately for you and for me and for Tiffany and for Pele, our guest today has excellent answers for those questions. His name is Bob and he doesn't want an email. He doesn't want to give out any social media information he's got nothing to promote or to say other than take care of your prostate and live a good life and he says it much more eloquent and cooler tones than i can generate but um yeah we're just going to call him bob not giving you his last name not giving you nothing but bob and let me tell you that is enough bob is great we met him in flores guatemala near the crazy ruins of Tikal Um, and I'm so glad I met him and his wife they are beautiful human beings and their story is so many things Uh, it's beautiful, it's touching, it's a little sad it's triumphant and it's fun which is what this whole thing is all about maybe, I hope. Anyhow I'm not gonna talk long, I just wanted to tell you I'm so glad that you're a listener. I'm glad that you're here. And I hope you're getting value out of this thing that we do. We certainly are. So thank you for making it possible. If you want to reach out to us and tell us what you think, go to mtp.dog forward slash contact and drop us a line. All right. I hope you're doing fun and interesting things out there. Until next time, enjoy this episode. our new pal. Bob. Okay, Bob. Cool. Thank you, man. Uh, We are relaxing in Flores, Guatemala, where we met yesterday in the street, thanks to uh, both of us being owners of Sprinter Vans. You are smart enough to have left yours behind at home. (laughs) (laughs) We've driven ours, uh, and it is now our home, but you're, um, you're here quasi-vacationing and quasi-hanging out with family, right? Yeah,
1: we're trying to keep Guatemala in the rotation. I've got eight cousins in uh, Guatemala City. So after uh, a 30-year break, we're starting our visits again.
0: That's cool. Eight cousins.
1: Eight cousins.
0: Who in your family is that from? Is that your mom or dad's side?
1: Yeah, my mom is uh, from Guatemala, from a little town called San Marcos, above quetzaltenango about ten thousand feet i think it's the highest town in guatemala
0: and you've been coming here your your whole life
1: yeah christmas every year when i was a child and um and up until right after i got married and then we just started going other places
0: a lot of places to go understandable (laughs) so um how long has your mom been she i guess you guys lived in the states you grew up in the states
1: yeah my mom um She's got an interesting story. She uh, she was the youngest of three sisters and she had polio back in, uh, I guess the late 40s. And there was no, there were no vaccines. So her family saved money and sent her to the United States for a a special operation to like reconnect her Achilles tendon to her calf muscle, I guess. And she'd been in a wheelchair and the operation was successful and she could walk. She walked up until the point she died, I guess. How
0: old was she when she passed?
1: 78.
0: Wow. That's great. How long ago was that? About
1: eight years.
0: Eight years. Is your father still living?
1: Yeah, he's 86 years old and uh, living on his own in the same family house and mowing the lawn and um, still getting up and down the stairs just barely.
0: That's incredible. 86 man i can't even consider 86 it's like starting on a long journey and then looking back you know looking forward to the end like you can't even consider 86
1: (laughs) yeah he's uh he jokes that uh if he knew he was going to live this long he would have taken better care of himself
0: (laughs) (laughs) he sounds like kind of a character he's he's my best friend really
1: yeah other than my wife that's great
0: that's really cool i want to ask you about her too but uh what did your dad do? What was his profession?
1: My dad was kind of a professional student in Virginia mm-hmm. at VPI uh, for many years. And then they, he said they graduated him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you got to go.
1: And he, he went to work for the government. And um, he, actually, he actually was an uh, optical physicist. And he invented the, uh, the starlight scope.
0: The starlight scope,
1: yeah, image intensifier tube. You know, you've, you've seen the goggles on movies, and uh, we looked up. My my wife looked up the patent, and his name's on the patent. Wow! It was all classified, so we we didn't know anything about it till till he came home one one day and bought some uh, night vision goggles home and ran around the backyard in the dark. Whoa, that's
0: cool. <laughs> Do you still have a pair, or does he no, still have a pair? No, no,
1: no. He's He's been retired for 26, 27 years. You had to give him back, huh? Wow.
0: That just always seemed like the most. Growing up in the 80s, you know, when you saw like a night vision goggle guy in, a, in some sort of action movie, that was like the high watermark of technology. You know,
1: <laughs> they, they were cool things. Yeah. They, he um, he met with Jane Goodall, the uh, the woman that was studying the, the apes. chimpanzees. apes, yeah. And uh, arranged to lend... Her and her husband, uh, some night vision equipment. That's cool to study the apes at night. Wow,
0: that's a good use for it. It's better than like some Rambo shit where you're. Yeah, (laughs) he did. He did a lot of Rambo stuff too. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. I I like the Jane Goodall. That's it's funny. We keep running into people who have these tangential connections to Jane Goodall. It's kind of she's a great woman. Oh man, what an intense lady. Part of. part of why I wanted to talk to you I mean you just seemed like an interesting guy you're immediately very friendly I uh, like anybody who's friendly but uh part of what I want to talk to you about is life and death you brought up within moments of meeting you something that was very touching and I want to I want to get there and I want to talk about that kind of quite a bit if that's okay with you yeah that's fine but uh I, I also kind of want to help people understand what sort of guy you are because you're you're very full of life, it seems like. And you're also very relaxed, which don't uh, always seem mutually exclusive. <laughs> but uh, you and your wife have been together for almost 40 years, 36,
1: 36 years. 36 years. Where would you two meet? Uh, we, we met at a college in Virginia. And I fortunately went um, did an extra senior semester mm-hmm. to finish up uh, my degree. And we overlapped a bit. And then we, we kind of hooked up um, after that. Yeah, just at a party. It's cr- it a good time.
0: Well, what about your mom?
1: My mom, uh, when she after they fixed her leg uh, with the operation in the States, she finished a bachelor's degree in nutrition. And got a master's degree in horticulture, and and I think the idea was that she would come back and help Guatemala as a developing country, uh, grow better food, feed the kids, um, and I, I'm sure that what the what's the plan was.
0: But she got a taste of the states, and
1: well, she she graduated before my father, and she returned to my father. You know, wanted to marry her and asked, and she said, "When you finish your degree, come get me." Wow. And so my dad with his you know, little Irish mom, I think it was the most adventurous thing that I've ever seen him do in his life was to uh, come to Guatemala and, you know, to this vastly different culture, especially back then. Yeah. And wow. uh, they got married and then moved back to the States.
0: So you didn't have to chase your wife like that? It was a little, little bit easier?
1: Yeah, we were... No
0: terms and conditions?
1: We were friends first for a long time and just did things together. It's just... No doubt in my mind that I found the right woman. Wow,
0: I love that. It's really cool. She's smiling too. <laughs> when your mom like decided, okay, I'm coming to the states. Was it like we're gonna have a big family? We're gonna do this thing, or what, did they have other ambitions, or the, were they just like in the family mind?
1: I I think it was you know it was uh, early mid fifties, and I think it was just like we're gonna have a family yeah. and. Um, we were always a little different from the neighbors.
0: <laughs> I can imagine. What? Um, how many siblings?
1: I have uh, three other siblings. Three other siblings. We're down to three now. Three. Total.
0: Three total. So there were four. Yeah. And now three. Are you the oldest?
1: I'm the, the second kid. Second kid. I'm the fun, relaxed kid.
0: Yeah. I don't know that the second one always makes that. Is that. a? <laughs> have you found that to be true? My, well, I'm
1: not the first one. <laughs>
0: yeah. My second sibling, I say this in love, is fucking nuts <laughs> she's crazy <laughs> but she is fun i'll put it that way okay so um four of you growing up in virginia pretty wild pretty laid back what was what was the household like for you i,
1: I was kind of the wild child and uh, the rebel mm-hmm. and um my older brother was a bookworm my younger brother was kind of goofy mm-hmm um, and, and my little sister, who came along quite a while after uh, my youngest brother, um, just my little sister. She's great. Yeah. She's probably my favorite sibling. Oh, that's cool. Um,
0: you hear that, the yeah, rest of you?
1: <laughs> older brother was an uh, incredibly intelligent you know, degree in mathematics right. and a graduate degree in geophysics. Wow. And um, probably one of the most boring people I've ever met in my life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I can't wait till he hears this one. Yeah, so, my, go ahead. But no, and then what did you do? What did you study in school?
1: I I didn't know what I wanted to be. You know, you take those you take those aptitude tests, and I I guess I was thinking about growing pot, and and my mom always nurtured my horticultural skills, you know, planting things, and and so I I took the aptitude test, and it said I wanted to be like a forester farmer because. That's what I was thinking about at yeah. the time. And it, this guidance counselor called me in at the beginning of high school, sat down, never made eye contact, said, did your parents go to the university? Did they go to college? And I said, yes. And she checks this box that says college prep. And I was, and later on I thought about it and I was like, well, what if your dad works at a gas station and you might have the aptitude or intelligence to go to, yeah. to college, it just it kind of shocked me a wow. little bit. Hopefully they don't do it that way anymore. But that was uh, early 70s. And so I wasn't even sure I was going to college. And um, I just, the group of friends I happened to be with, you know, kind of that's at the end of high school, you know, they were going. So I applied, you know, I took my SATs. I applied to one one school, public school in Virginia and i went and after i started the university it took me about a month to figure out that it was the best thing i ever did in my life really because it was non-stop academics partying women you know recreational everything you know yeah. right kind of in a sweet spot in the 70s there yeah, yeah. and uh and a lot of my friends flunked out but i was i was like i'm never gonna flunk out of this place i'm staying as long as i can because it was so rich I can imagine. You know, beyond the academics, I sure. mean, it was like going to a five-hour lecture every day that you were interested in. That's great. wonderful.
0: Well, and what were you studying, though? What was your? Well, it sounds like you left <laughs> horticulture.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at least well, so academically. The, the neighbors had the state police pull up my plantation oh. one day. Sounds uh, but I was I was really into journalism. I worked for my high school newspaper. And I'd review concerts, like rock concerts, and protest on the mall. Wow. And and there wasn't much censoring back then. They they were really good about letting the students kind of speak their mind. It was a different time. Yeah. And so I started in journalism. And I started thinking about not wanting to be poor my whole life. (laughs) And then I switched to psychology. (laughs) And I did that for about a year. They... They were showing this movie, and they had this monkey hooked up to electrodes, and they would shock the monkey, you know, kind of like the song. Yeah. And they measured the response of how much voltage they were doing by how hard it bit down on this this uh, measurement thing. Right. And I was watching the movie, and I, I kind of determined at the time that uh, psychology was the study of the obvious, like behavioralism, the absurd, like Freud, Freudism, um, the obvious or the absurd. And I just said, this probably doesn't make sense. (laughs) And so I switched to, um, economics. And again, you know, it's the people I was with the economics professors were, were Vietnam vets, uh, helicopter pilots that gotten their PhDs. Multiple one, you know, many of the professors, and uh, they had great parties, and they drink beer and talk, and I like them. And I'm not sure what, what changed, but I switched to um, switched to management and marketing. I started thinking about how to, that I was going to get a job. Hmm. And then one day I took a uh, computer class. It was very simple programming language, and I'd never done it, and I absolutely had no aptitude for it. And I was trying to ride a little loop, increment it by one till I got to ten, and then exit the loop. And I just, I just couldn't see it. And the next day, I went down and changed my major to uh, management information system. And
0: <laughs> so in what year was this? This like, is 70s? This
1: is like seventy-six. Six, I switched.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's early days. Yeah, in it, the it, computer,
1: it happened to be good timing. Yeah, I got a, I got a job when I got out.
0: You learned the language in its most rudimentary form. And
1: yeah, and uh, my little school was, was they had some really good people. They were pretty ahead of the times. Wow.
0: And you were saying yesterday that, uh, that it was your particular, I mean, talking about the obvious and the absurd, you said you were ADD and that yeah, just I, ticked the right box for you to go <laughs> into pretty, the computer.
1: Pretty rambunctious kid. And, um uh, I think, I think, uh, 10 years later, I would have been on Ritalin right. easily. And, um, you know, I just never could really concentrate on one thing for very long, which which never was that much of a handicap. My parents might feel differently, uh, but I liked a big variety of things. I had to have variety.
0: Yeah. What an interesting—so you've spent your career in Virginia doing information systems, data, IT, uh, we call it now. Like, at what, what year did it become IT? i I don't know it has
1: so many so many different names i just call it computer stuff
0: you just worked in computer stuff this whole time
1: yeah well i was i was really concerned about getting a job right out of school sure so i went to the placement office and i my junior year and i said hey you know how does this work how am i going to get a real job because my parents were very supportive but never really gave me much money yeah. <laughs> and so I had to buy my own first car and sure. I, had to, I ended up paying for my education wow. paying back loans I'd gotten um unlike unlike my siblings that kind of had a free ride yeah. but it never bothered me I'd rather be a little independent sure I get it um but that
0: throughout this whole time you cultivated an interest in music and working with your hands did you maintain your interest in um in horticulture Outside of growing (laughs) pot, did you? (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, well, I kind of kind of left the pot thing behind pretty (laughs) early. Uh, Yeah, I'd I'd sit at a desk. Yeah, I never. I guess I never really had a passion for um, for systems work, but I I try to change it into something positive by just just working out little puzzles. Just Mm -hmm. say it's all little puzzles, and when it comes right down to it, machines are. Machines aren't emotional, they don't have bad days, and it, they're a little, little easier to work with than uh, people sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, sometimes. Uh, all the time. <laughs> and But what i do is I'd, I'd sit at a desk, you know, and I'd work 60, 70 hours a week. It, it's just what it took to get to advance and learn. And it was, I was not, I'm not really an inside sit at a desk type person, but I did it. And I'd come home and I would work on my cars I, I made all the furniture in my house um, you know make flower beds you know plant the spice garden and, and to this day I'm, I'm still my, my scale is less than it was then even sure. just working after after work but I, I maintained my uh, my deep embedded blue collarness yeah. and, and, and my father same thing happened to him he, he didn't want to be the director or the manager he wanted right. to work in the metal shop yeah, but but somehow we got fortunately we got sidetracked into, you know, really sit down thinking type jobs.
0: a thoughtful guy and yesterday you and I were just talking about travel you were curious about our van looking around at the thing and I asked you why you were traveling what you're up to and you told me something that um we all know we're gonna die (laughs) we're just not all as aware of it as you are and would you mind just telling me what what you told me yesterday
1: yeah about um about six years ago i guess about six and a half years ago i i was getting laid off and i knew i was getting laid off and i interviewed and hired the people the two people to replace me and i was a little burned out after 30 years in the i.t field and so it was i was going to take a break so i I was in an unemployed status And you know do do my blue collar things make some furniture do things like that paint the house and uh i had a a really bad test result for my my psa it's prostate specific antigen and for for someone my age it should have been like one or two or less and it came up as 40. and so i'm like well wonder what this means so i went to uh, the urologist and he he uh, told me I had to get a biopsy, which was a fairly unpleasant experience. I can't even imagine. And uh, and the biopsy came back, and it's like, you have a lot of prostate cancer in your body. And so, you know, it's a kick in the teeth. Um, just, I'm like, huh. And, you know, just devastated like, like anybody would be. And so I you know i said well let's let's get on with it you know what do you need to do and they said i needed surgery and uh scheduled that right away you know did did enough research Uh, my wife was very supportive you know helping me through it and and they did the surgery it's it's the first time i ever been in a hospital i mean i've had my wisdom teeth out and and enjoyed the anesthetic till it wore off (laughs) and um I, you know, I'm home recovering and a couple of days later the doctor calls up and he says, he said it was worse than we thought, it's, it's extra capsular which means it's, it's gotten out. Oh, shit. And I say, well what do I do? And he says, well go, go see this guy, the radiation doctor. And, and that's all he would say, He just kept saying go see the radiation doctor. But I had to wait four months. Um, and incidentally, the week before I had my surgery, we did a 150-mile bike tour from <laughs> Cumberland, Maryland, or from uh, Pittsburgh to Cumberland, Maryland. <laughs> yeah. And I'm riding down the uh, this bumpy path on my bike, and I'm thinking about where my prostate is. And I'm, I'm like, you know, I wanted to be in the best condition I could to help recover from surgery, sure. and and I'm like, I'm not so sure this is a great idea, bouncing my prostate around, but it wouldn't have made any difference. Yeah, yeah. And it was a great, it was a great trip. Um, And I I did, I recovered fairly quickly from the surgery, but just what a kick in the teeth. Not, you know, first of all, to find out you have cancer and then have the surgery and then have the guy.
0: It's it's worse than he thought.
1: It's saying it's worse than he thought. I'm like, (sighs) you know, and I went, any normal human beings just gonna be devastated. And you know, my life's over and all this and that. And um, so four months later, I went down to meet the radiation doctor who was a gift from God you know I'm not a religious guy but he was very very fortunate I met this guy he's a uh, Korean guy that grew up in the back of a liquor store in Atlanta and he's a he's a genius mm-hmm. and he knows he knows radiation oncology and how to treat cancer and he knows so much more and he's, his delivery is, is so good businesslike, but but still warm and competent and I proceeded to get like 38 um, general radiation sessions. Wow. You have to. It's it's interesting. Um, you you sit on a little bench on deck for your radiation, and the people next to you have all sorts of different cancers: brain cancer, lung cancer, and you you see the same people every day because you're going every day for a month and a half, oh and. And you start asking him, it's like, well, what are you in for? It's like, oh, well, I got lung cancer. And I'm like, hmm, I think prostate cancer is a little better than lung cancer. I've got brain cancer. I've got breast cancer. And one, one day they bought a young girl in, and, and she was wearing a, a sweatshirt from my, my college. And she was on a stretcher, and she looked bad. And and she was in line behind me, and I, I said, uh, I said, well, look. I'll wait, let her, you know, let her go. She's on a stretcher, you know, take her in. So they did. I talked to her father and I said, did she go to that college? And he said, she wants to, that she, she wasn't even college age yet. Mm. And and later on, I heard that, that she made a a good recovery, but it, it was definitely a close thing. So you, I guess that was the beginning of, of kind of acceptance and, uh, you know, there's always somebody worse off than you and I, I feel for them. Um, so I went through the, uh, the radiation treatments, and it, it tears you up pretty good. I had an iron stomach before, and I don't now, to be careful about what I eat. And it knocked the, uh, the cancer back for about a year and a half, which was good, and then and a year and a half later, they found another tumor growing, and they used this uh, procedure called CyberKnife which I'm not sure you can get in Guatemala. But what it is is they target a very small place where the tumor is from multiple angles and where all the beams cross. It's like a backhoe swinging around swinging around the room, <laughs> you know, with a big ray gun on the end. Oh they, they hit you from underneath, and, and that dropped the cancer again. Wow. You know, knocked it back. And that was only five sessions. You know, so I'm up to 40, 40-something radiation treatments. And then, uh, again, the same thing happened. After about a year and a half, it came back. And uh, my doctor suggested I go to get a, uh, a scan. He did all the, the scans, the uh, CAT scan and the PET scan. Mm-hmm. And the, the PET scan looks for cells with a high metabolic rate. And, uh, and you know, I was clear, but my my uh, markers my psa was continued to rise and he said well it's somewhere we don't we can't find it so he suggested i go get a uh, clinical study scan that was a better scan to detect where prostate cancer is and it was in clinical trials and so during my ski vacation (laughs) you can always I wasn't as physically active as I was before, but I, I, could still, I could still ski mountaineer and I could ride my bike, not as far as before, but you know, good 40, 50 mile ride. Wow. And um, so I said, well, it's perfect. He's in Phoenix and we're skiing in Colorado. So I'll just go get my scan. I'll take a little break. Cause I, you know, I'm, I'm 61 years old. And at that point I was uh, in my late fifties. So I thought I could use a little break on my legs. So I flew to Phoenix. The guy did the scan. Um, has these huge monitors and he says, you have seven tumors in your lymph nodes, you know, heading, heading toward your lungs. And he said, this is how it goes. And it, it wasn't great news, but I, I was kind of in a little bit more of an acceptance. And, and I, knew it was, I knew the PSA was rising and it had to be somewhere. And these were tumors that they couldn't even see on a regular PET scan in a hospital. And um, and so I went back to my radiation oncologist. Well, first of all, the uh, the guy who did the scan said, if you take this to an oncologist, they won't know what to do because they don't really have a, uh, a procedure or a protocol for treating uh, men that have their that where they can see the cancer at this point. You know, usually they just wait for it to hit your lungs or your bones and it starts hurting, and then they say, okay, we're going to start treating you. And it, it really didn't dawn on me what that meant, but I went back to the radiation guy. He says, it's too much. I don't have enough clinical uh, evidence that continuing to treat you with re- radiation is going to be more helpful than harmful, and you have to go find another oncologist. And I'm like, and that, that was worse than finding out I had a tumor, because this guy was my lifeline. Yeah. He, he told me after every appointment, he said, your cancer is my problem. Go live your life.
0: What a beautiful
1: thing it, to it's, say. So I kind of got, it really took, took a lot of weight off my shoulders. And so I, I kind of felt like he was cutting me loose. Um, and then uh, you, you want me to talk about uh, my series of oncologists? Anything. So finding a good strategy if you have a real serious disease, and thank God mine's slow moving, um, is to find the right doctor and then don't look back. See so many people, you know. Oh, if they'd only had the right doctor, or if I'd only done this, and I I didn't want to look back, you know. Just find the right doctor and then then let it ride and see see what happens. Hmm. So I went to uh, I went to the first general oncologist, and he said he said you have to understand that there is no cure for the disease you have and it will kill you. Um, and I said well. Well, you know, how long do you think I have left? And he said, and this was three and a half years ago, he said, you got about five years. And he says, I don't even want to start treating you yet until until it starts to hurt. It gets into your lungs or your bones. And, yeah, another kick in the teeth. I'm like, well, <laughs> obviously this guy isn't for me because, one, he's a jerk. Yeah, and, sadist. And, uh Creep. And, and I'm scrambling, and it was it was probably one of the most stressful points in the whole process. So I'm like, i got to find another oncologist. So I find this other guy you know, pretty far from, from where we live. And I went out there, and his approach was exactly the opposite. He says, we're going to load you up to every drug that's ever been invented to fight this cancer, and your life's going to be miserable, but you're going to live an extra year and a half. And I'm just... It sounded better than the other guy at first. It, I'm like, I could do that, I could do that. And then I'm like, that sounds horrible. I, yeah. You know, it just didn't so, sound right. So then um, so then I found a research um, oncologist at Georgetown University. And I went over there, it cost a thousand bucks out of pocket for one appointment. And, and the woman was wonderful and she does clinical studies and she says, you don't need all those drugs, but it, it does make sense to start a, a, a treatment where they lower your testosterone. It's called ADT, androgen deprivation therapy. And I asked her, you know, I'm thinking, well, how many appointments do I need and how long can I pay $1,000 <laughs> um, to do this? It was just kind of crazy. I said, is there anybody that, that might be in my medical plan that you know, maybe at one of these other hospitals? And she said, she said, yeah, there's this this one woman. And so I made an appointment to see her. And you got to understand, this was during a period of three weeks oh my gosh. And, and it was pretty stressful.
0: I'm stressed out. I'm just sitting here <laughs> laying on a lounge chair. and I'm like palms sweating. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm looking at Lake Patan. You're just happy. <laughs> watching the, the wind <laughs> hit the water. Uh, so anyhow, I go see this uh, this woman. She's a Chinese woman. She's a clinical researcher at a hospital, and, and she agrees completely that I need to start this treatment, and and I, I did. I started the treatment, and it, it basically, a healthy man, your testosterone level runs between, like, you know, maybe, until you get older, about 400 to 600, you know, maybe if you're an NFL football player or something, and... I'm not sure what mine started at, but they gave me they give me an injection in my stomach every three months, and and I'm I'm like you know we we traveled to Canada and went hiking and I said well this isn't bad at all, but it, it kind of caught up with me about uh, about four or five months later, and it it basically turns you into a 75 year old menopausal woman. You know you have hot flashes and and you lose muscle mass and your boobs grow and all this and and um, i'm still thinking this isn't so bad if, if i can maintain this for a number of years you know that i could i could live with it and then i we went um went hiking and i'm, I'm feeling kind of weak and um, my wife says it's all in your head let's let's go climb this mountain and And I climbed the mountain and I I couldn't control my heat. And I kind of just blew up after like two miles, you know, before it would have been trivial. And and so that I'm thinking my life's over, I can't hike hard and what am I gonna do? And then about the same time, uh, a woman in the neighborhood who was half my age, I'm 61, uh, died of breast cancer. And we had been kind of cancer buddies because you know, I, I decided I was never going to sit at a desk again, yeah. that I'd done it for 30 years. I'm not spending one minute of the time I have left, you know, doing something I really did just for money. And uh, so it kind of threw me into a, uh, a depression. And, and it really, if it wasn't me, it would be really fascinating because depression, you know, I always thought, well, these, these people, you know, like homeless people are depressed, whatever. They should just be happier. Or just get their, get their act together and, um, and do something positive and look on the bright side. But, but clinical depression doesn't work like that. So, so my mother had died of cancer. There's no history of cancer in our family before my mother died. Really? Mother dies of lung cancer. And I was sad, probably like a 7.5 on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the saddest you could ever be. And my, my sister also died of cancer fairly young at 50. And um, and I was sad about an 8.5, and this this sadness and depression was like 25. It was just ridiculous. It it, it felt very acute, like somebody's cutting you or, or hitting you with a hot iron or yeah, something. you could feel it physically. And I only had like two six-hour periods where I felt that depressed. That I mm-hmm. I called the oncologist and I said I said the way I feel now, death would be sweet relief. And I absolutely meant it. I mean you'd wonder <laughs> I, I had no idea any of this existed mm. and so they say you need to see the uh, psychiatrist and I'm like you know I'm like whatever anything I just don't want to go back to that place and it's an oncology psychiatrist that, that fortunately in the Washington DC area there's pretty specialized experts yeah. you know it'd probably be hard to find in Guatemala here um, And so I went to see this guy and I didn't know what to expect and I didn't have high hopes and um, gave my story and I didn't know if he was going to get all, you know, you just have to think on the bright side type thing. And he he says, there's there's nothing wrong with you. He says the medications they are giving you to lower your testosterone have messed up your brain chemistry. He says there's other than that, he says, there's absolutely nothing wrong with your brain and the way you think. It's Mm -hmm. all a result of the medication. And he holds up this little bottle of pills and he says you need to take these and i'm like okay and <laughs> i said well they make me gain weight because i'm really fighting you know having a low testosterone level and trying to stay in some kind of condition and um, he says no they won't they're the ones that don't make you gain weight and then i said well i'm having trouble sleeping and he he says you need these <laughs> and so so I go home, I get my, my pills, and I take them for two days, and I feel completely normal, and I can sleep like a baby in two days. Wow. And I've never been on a prescription drug in my life, and these are very, very important to me. Yeah. They're, they're gold because they, they, bring my, they give me my life back. Yeah. Or, you know, however long I have left.
0: Just that phrase alone, giving you your life back however long you have left, hold heavy weight for you. That, that your time you're aware of how potentially limited your time is it's it's interesting because you you know you you said your sister w- was given a terminal diagnosis that happened very quickly right it, hers was was it a year was it six months
1: or? I think it was uh, her first diagnosis was two weeks to two months
0: all right she made it two years is yeah and
1: she she fought hard she didn't complain a lot and just fought you know, Tooth, fang, and claw for every minute. Right. I mean, one hospital said we can't give you any more chemo, and and she went next door, and they said they would. Yeah. And uh, so she squeezed two years out, and and her cancer was much more brutal than mine, yeah. and super fast moving. And it, I, she's my my hero. She's my yeah. model, and her. Um, her motto and she even got pins and t-shirts it was Ethel, enjoy the heck out of life (laughs) and and she went with it and so i guess we were diagnosed about the same time really pretty close to the same time and uh you know she called me and said i'm worried about you and i'm like well i'm really worried about you and you know i drive up to boston time after time just to help her you know maintain the house and Mm -hmm. uh and she just had a lot of class about it yeah. and was in a much worse situation than I am. And so I, I arrived at the point, you know, you're, you know you're going to die. I mean, it, multiple doctors say it's just a matter of time. You know, a good attitude's worth 15% long. You know, you get sure. 15% more time. And it was, it was a very difficult corner to turn. But if I was like, well, if I start dying now, I'm wasting whatever time I have. And, and so I'm like, I'm balls out for life.
2: The song of Everything has something for somebody. The song of everything has something for somebody Spend my life in ecstasies Underneath the redwood trees It knocks you to your knees When you're there breathing It's big, say if you're there Oh, it's the season
1: It's time to, to get moving. And I, I started like, how can I beat this mentally? You know, I know I can't stop it. You oh, I could slow it down with treatments. And so I came up with the only logical conclusion that I had to live about two to three times faster than the average person. <laughs> and and uh, I sort of call it running from the devil, just as a joke. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's proven to be, I've done many, many things I never would have done. I go to these music camps and, and hang out with these professional musicians. You know, it's not terribly expensive, um, and I, I never would have gone. I would have put it off. And I'm like, now's the time. I'm booking it. And I've, I've managed to, to, do a lot of things in the last four or five years. I'm like, I want to travel. Um, I actually started my own company to remodel bathrooms and kitchens. And I'm, I'm weaker now, and I, I can't go as long. But you know, just my wife and I, we do tile work. I finally got the blue collar, satisfaction. It, you know i only work we only work for people we know yeah. it, it's it's been good i've kind of backed off of that because i've even less energy now um but we've you know we've been skiing and i can't really ski up hills the ski mountaineering up high in colorado um but the avalanche danger was so high last year we really it wasn't a big deal yeah. and so so my attitude is yeah i'm gonna die um and that's okay. Yeah. And, and there's a famous uh, climber who died on K2 who I'd met in Yosemite climbing years ago. He said, before he left on the trip, he said, no matter what happens, either way I win. Yeah. And he, he died in a big storm up high on K2. And it and I was al- always scratching my head. It's like, well, what what in the world did this guy mean? And, and so I sort of adopted it. You know ingest a little bit that either way i win yeah and so i'm just trying to squeeze every drop out of life and and not be too narcissistic you know it's it's not about me it's about my my family and my wife and my father my friends and and just try to to live as richly as i can and see things and i'm i'm very good after uh after oncology appointments at giving the panhandlers like 20 bucks <laughs> just something compels yeah. me you know to to, to kind share. of help people a little sure. bit and uh, it, it all these things i've done since i got diagnosed i i was thinking i wish i could put it in a bottle and, and give it to my friends you know the people that are just kind of sitting on their couch and just their life's just going by, and they have they have no idea until you you know it's not unlimited. Yeah, it's um, it's hard to really motivate yourself sometimes. So it's 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 actually been a gift. It's a hard road to follow, but it's uh, it's a wonderful thing.
0: The blessing of terminal awareness.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, I an, it, never would have come back to Guatemala. I hadn't been here in thirty years, really. and uh, and we went. Um, this is the second year in a row and we we've, we've put it on the rotation and so we just kind of just kind of go around and meet people like like you
0: and well I love that you're that you collected yourself in this very cool way and have made it about your family and your wife and travel and experience it's a gorgeous thing man
1: that sounds very positive and and it is but there, there really aren't for me, you know, and everybody's different and how different people handle cancer is a very personal thing. Sure. And I can't say they're wrong or right. Uh, but for me, there weren't a lot of other options. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you can, sure. you could sit here and uh, feel sorry for yourself and die, or you could just accept it and, and, uh, and actually get a lot more out of life.
0: Well, you're at an interesting confluence of influences because you're a technology guy. You know, from your dad and from yourself, you've got this like influence of the technical fix for problems. You're a puzzle solver. You're kind of a puzzle guy who takes things at either ones or zeros and figures out a way to make the puzzle work. And then you're introspective and thoughtful, and whatever experiences you may have had in college that uh, opened your mind clearly made you sensitive to things in a way. And so that kind of mix of the you know the technology the puzzle solving and this deep sensitivity combined to give you a beautiful life in a in a way that I, 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 I wish the living what's that phrase like the life is wasted on the living you right know, that, right that you you saw through that you know and and have made something interesting I think and inspiring and it doesn't have to be predicated by a terminal diagnosis because we've all got it. Given that perspective and shown the end, like here's how the book's going to end in this visceral way, you made good choices, man. I, I think you've made I, great choices.
1: I, I kind of feel like I really didn't. It was the only choice. Mm. And And my sister, the way she handled her death and conducted herself just like, I mean she's she's holding me to a pretty high standard, yeah. you know, from wherever wherever she is. Um, but it's it's been good and I'm I've I've kind of my fans I don't think they're getting tired of me, but I'm a big proponent of retiring early. And and you'll never have enough money to feel completely secure. And there's some Buddhist saying that says all man's unhappiness comes from from looking for security that right. that they're never going to find, you know, it could be that suffering. car wreck or, or you just you just don't know, and so I'm I'm on my friends. I'm like, well, don't wait too long, and I said, and I've I have several friends that are that are fairly wealthy, you know, in the millions in terms mm. of savings and assets, and and I'm like, uh, you need to if you like, and I know they would enjoy traveling and seeing music and sleeping late when they want to. Yeah. And, uh, and so I've been kind of harassing them, saying, you know, you're going you're to run out of uh, money before you're going to run out of, gonna time, run before out of time before th- you're going to run out of money. Yeah. And, and so I, I try to spread the word, and I also try to spread the word about prostate cancer and what happened to me and how it was a mistake. Uh, but real simply... You They check for prostate cancer with a simple blood test, and it's called a PSA, prostate-specific antigen, and you get a number. It's a data point. It's all it is. So what you need to watch for across two or three or even more uh, PSA tests, and usually it's once a year, and they're, it's optional now. They don't recommend it, but, um, but they do. They don't insist, it's not required and recommended that you get every year, but it's a data point, it's a simple blood test, it's cheap. What you need to watch out for is something called velocity. Okay. And so, under four is considered normal, but a four would be normal for like an 80 year old man. Okay. So, if you go and get a one, a 1.5, and a two, and then they, they do it again, they shorten the, the interval, you've got upward velocity if you chart those points. Okay and that's a bad thing even if you're under the threshold
0: if it's um, moving
1: up right it could be a 0. 0.5 a 1 and a 1.5 okay and you've got an issue that that something's changing over over time and you really you really need to consider addressing it or at least maybe perhaps getting tested more often and and doctors are hesitant because if if they get you to go for a biopsy which is an unpleasant procedure um, and it's not positive. Then, and that actually happened to me once. Really, that, that three years before I, I had a uh, that was not your first biopsy. No, jeez. And and all somewhere between there jumped from like four to forty, Shit. which really lowers your life expectancy. And that was a that was a huge mistake. And a new doctor said, yeah, you should you should get this test. But that's that's my uh, look for velocity in this okay. test always request your psa and then you you don't have to get a biopsy if it's going up you you've got time but keep an eye on it you know don't wait 3 years like i did hmm. and, and let that grow kind of uh so hopefully you know i'm spreading the gospel on sure. uh, on that
0: I'll, I'll get some websites from you that people can go to to, to learn more about prostate <laughs> health you know, yeah. I,
1: I, but it's it's actually that that simple in terms of simple. If, uh, just watching your your velocity on your PSA okay. tests at what age are you
0: supposed to just start doing this
1: I think they're saying 50 now but there's there's people in their 20s with prostate cancer mm. if you if you have trouble urinating mm. y- over a, a longer period of time you need to address it okay because I I certainly did and I just ignored it and mm. it was actually pretty bad really I just thought it was part of getting old I'm you know I'm not sick that much I just kind of ignore things until they go away
0: when you say, trouble urinating do you mind elaborating what you mean
1: just like feeling like you can't get it out or you have to stand there for you know two three minutes
0: gotcha it's a very valuable thing that you're sharing what you've gone through and and how you're handling it and that that the influence of your sister on that and watching someone that you love so much go through something so difficult but remain so positive it can't be overstated, the value. My, my, my mom is an oncology, hospice, palliative care nurse, has been in, in that position. She won't retire, she's 74 years old and still works.
1: Again, I'm not a religious guy, but we call those people angels. Yeah.
0: And, and in that work, what she's seen, her attitude towards death is very healthy, I would think. The way that she's seen people handle their own deaths, there, there's a gracefulness that is, I think, available to people in their behavior. You, you call it squeezing out. They're living three times as fast. You don't seem like a dude in a hurry.
1: It's it's a good it's a good mix. I mean, sleeping late if that's what you choose to do, getting up at three in the morning to see the sunrise over Tikal, yeah, in Guatemala, yeah. Um, it's just it's a pretty good life. Mm-hmm. You know, if it wasn't for the pesky cancer, my life would be you know ten on a scale of ten. Yeah. Um,
0: what do you call it right now what would you say I that don't know I'm good. feeling
1: pretty 9.5 yeah that's it's good it's, you know the weather's beautiful here the sky's blue you know fluffy clouds yeah. kind of a Simpsons <laughs> kind a of Simpsons a of the kind of day the, the lake's there I'm going to play all afternoon go yeah. swimming um, but just anybody if you find yourself with some kind of diagnosis or something like that it's, it's going to be okay Hmm. regardless when your time's up your time's up and it's a very hard corner to turn sure and people are all different uh, but but it, it will get better yeah it will get better and, and you will accept things i guess we're given built-in defense mechanisms and i'm i'm not a special guy i'm just you know bob on the street and so if you ever find yourself in that situation you know just you know, be shocked be horrified get upset and get on with it and, and um, don't start dying before your time's up and you know maybe maybe they'll stretch me out a couple more years here yeah um, I I'm mean in, I'm in a good place right now well either way you win either way I win Bob thank you so much man thanks I, I appreciate you talking to me
2: you told me goodbye I do know You didn't mean Goodbye You meant Please Don't let me go I was having